Hello and welcome to the Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today on our show, we've got an amazing guest as always. She is the author of eight books, a Hall of Fame speaker, and an expert in resiliency. Welcome to the show, Eileen McDar. How are you doing today? David, well, I'm delighted to be with you. And I'll tell you, every day that we wake up on this side of the earth instead of the other, it's a good day. Absolutely. Yes, we are definitely blessed. And uh, you help people feel that as well, um, especially kind of during these difficult times. And um, it's looking like we're going to be in some more difficult times coming up here. Um, one thing I want to thank you about is for saying resiliency is about energy management. Mm -hmm. And that's just so powerful. Uh, what, what does that kind of mean to yourself then? Well, um, first off, I became interested my field is communication and I've had my own organization for, I can't believe it, 40 years, which is wow. amazing because I'm only 22. So exactly. <laughs> But I, I became more and more interested in resilience, frankly, at 9-11. Okay. And when I watched how we as a nation and individuals responded to an event. And the more I looked into resiliency, the more I realized that the dictionary definition was not adequate for human beings. The dictionary definition basically says that an object under stress, when the stress is re re removed, it goes back to its original position. So if I ask an audience, what is it? 99% of them will holler out, bounce back. Right. Said, you know what? Human beings don't go back. You and I are different today, David, than we were yesterday, than we were a year ago in small ways and maybe in large ways. Absolutely. And as I looked at it, I realized that what at the end of the day, resiliency is about energy management. Do I have the mental, emotional, physical energy, the hardiness to keep on keeping on through challenge as well as opportunity. And so to me, resilience is, it's about growth. It's about learning. You know, you don't grow, you don't learn. There's no resilience. You're stuck. You're not hmm. going forward. So, um, so that's where energy came into it. And then the other thing, which I think was what also convinced me that energy and resilience were tied is that you and I get energy or deplete our energy based upon our connections. And if you think about it, you got a power grid, you know, you got a power plant on one side, you got lines on the other, here's your house. If it's a good connection, the lights go on. Bad connection, no lights, or it's depending on what's happening, it could actually drain the energy. So you and I make connections then that either give us energy or deplete our energy. So when right. I think about resiliency as a life skill, which I think it is, it's a life skill, is what are the connections that I make that give me energy? What are the things that drain my energy? That was a long involved answer for your very simple question. <laughs> <laughs> now, no, I, I, beautiful answer. And I think what a lot of people are thinking is that these situations that drain energy um, a lot of people feel that they don't have control over them or this is something that's kind of forced upon them or something that they have to do. So in that case, how do they kind of uh, manage their energy in these situations where basically uh, they can't get away from these uh, 
negative connections or people around them that are just sucking the life out of them? That's a, that's a great question. So you, you use an interesting word, which was have to. Um, when I think of the word have to, um, unless somebody's pointing a gun at me and say, you have to go do this. The truth of the matter is we do have choices. I might not like the choice, but when I say I'm choosing for right now to have this conversation with you, I'm in control because I said I choose, not I have to. And um, this sounds very small, David, but I tell you, the stuff that we say to ourselves in our head that we don't even know we're saying is powerful in creating the responses that we get. And so my husband does this for me. If I say, you know, well, I have to go to the store. He says, no, you don't. <laughs> choosing to go to the store. I have to do the washing. No, you don't. You're choosing. That's really true. Um, and so when we're confronted with a, an event, uh, a piece of news, whatever, it's, okay, the couple of options. One is, how do I choose to view this? Is there another way of looking at this differently to see what is possible versus what is impossible? Maybe what I have to do is accept it is what it is right now. So where is it that I, what are, where are my choice points? Um, for example, I, I'm choosing not to look at certain television stations um, because of the negativity that goes in there. And um, so, so can I accept it? Can I alter it? If, if, or can I avoid it? So for me, for example, television is something I avoid. So we right. have options there. So it's when we believe, when, when we think we don't have options and we feel stuck. So what kind of accept, avoid, amend, or alter in some ways? That makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you dive into this in more detail in your books, but let's just give the audience a little tease with the alter. How can people alter kind of their environment then? Okay. So we probably have more power than we think we do. Okay. So when I say alter, change things, I I believe that action is the anecdote for anxiety. When I become, oh my God, God, this is terrible, terrible. (laughs) Put something in motion. I don't care what it is. Put something in motion. And when I say put something in motion, the first place in which we have we can actually feel something is with our physical body. Right. Get out and move. Go exactly. take a walk. So I knew, David, that you and I were going to speak early today. So normally I would do about a five-mile run. Coming okay. coming in early here in California, that wasn't possible. But I did get up really early, as I always do. I did my meditation for 20 minutes because I have. And then I went to the gym and did 30 minutes on the elliptical and came home to get ready for you. Um, so I think when we say, you know, what can I alter is what can I do with my physical body? How about my physical surroundings? Right. It's interesting. When we are living in clutter and chaos, we feel clutter and chaos. It's like the books are falling in on top of me and the dirty laundry is over here. Begin to create some type of order and structure, even if you have to put it in a box and put it away so you don't look at it, you know, but to begin to feel that sense of order. It's a way of how do I control my my physical world, which is my body, my physical surroundings, and then we move forward from there. Wow. Yeah, this is resonating with me so much. 
uh, <laughs> like being in the brain world here too. Um, I always hear mindset, 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 and it's important, absolutely. But getting our bodies to move is such big stimulation for the brain. And I had uh, one guest on the show, uh, Debbie Hampton, who had a failed suicide attempt. And then she's telling this story about how a few months later, she's out swimming and almost drowns. And she gets to the shore after fighting and fighting. And then it hits her later on that, wow, I tried to kill myself. And now I was fighting for my life. And I think the big difference between the two of those struggles is that she was able to fight, move, and was involved in it versus feeling stuck, shut down, and locked up. And then I look into like the stress responses and stress responses are there to make us move. Like you're getting that big rush of stress chemistry through the body so that you're able to do something so that you can run away, fight or flight. And if we don't use up those stress chemicals, they have very powerful uh, bad effects on the human body and on, on our mind and make us feel worse. So the mere fact that you're going into, yeah, we need to move, we need to change our environment so that that stimulus is not wearing us down is is just resonates with me big time uh, so what are some of more kind of things that you do to to keep your sanity with such a busy schedule and high pressure speaking situations that you do and and then being able to sit down and actually write about it <laughs> well first off i write for me i don't write for my reader okay. i write to learn. And it's when I write, my thinking becomes clearer. Oh, so wow. uh, I, one of the things I do is I do keep a journal. So for example, um, I did this first thing this morning. I, I write, well, at the end of the day, what are the little things that I did? How much did I, I, did I exercise? I have a Fitbit, which just happens to be my instrument of choice. Um, what did I do? And how long did I sleep? And the Fitbit also gives me a score that says, how well did you do? So by just even writing those things down, I go, okay, that's, there's my, some of my points of control. Um, another thing that um, I, I think, and this is like within the last three years, I've been very actively doing this and again, to develop this resilience muscle. Cause I think it is like a muscle and like when you go to a gym, you don't pick up a 500 pound weight. You know, you start right. with five pounds. Um, is to challenge myself to do something I have never done every month. It could be before the COVID hit, you know, with, okay, I've never taken a Pilates class. Okay, I'll go take a Pilates class. Oh, I've never talked to this person over here. I'm going to go talk to them. I haven't done that. Oh, I've never eaten, <clears throat> I don't know, oysters. Okay, I'll try it on school. And I write those down every month. What did I do that I've never done before? And what's interesting is you realize how powerful we can be when we put ourselves in 
different situations. Right. Now, I'm not going to go jump off the Eiffel Tower. You know, I'm not going to go <laughs> bungee jumping. I've never done that. I don't think I want to do that. But <clears throat> but so that's um, so that's one of the things that you know I have worked on. The other thing to build this resilience muscle, and it's just recently that I've realized the power of this. Are you ready to take your brain health to a brand new, higher level than ever before? Then please check out thehardybrain.ca and inquire about our virtual brain health intensive programs. And it's just recently that I've realized the power of this is to practice kindness. Right. Kindness. Um, and we forget about this. You know, we get so busy and all the pressure, and I got to do this, 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 this. Eileen, what are you going to do that's kind today? And I, it's not that I, I suddenly something happens. I go, you know, I need to respond. And I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I went to Costco with a new prescription for my glasses. Okay. And I could tell that the woman behind the counter was not having a good day. She was really stressed. She wasn't smiling. And so when my number came up, I just said, could I get you a cup of coffee or a Coke or something? She looked at me, David, she almost started crying. She wow. said, oh, you're so kind. She said, I just, I picked up this, this lady's glasses and the stem, they were all glasses and the stem just snapped and broke off. I've never done that before. I said, don't worry, you're surrounded by a whole bunch of glass frames around here. I'll be get that for you. And David, I got to tell you, doing just that little thing made me feel, okay, in a place where so much of the world is out of control, I did have some, I mean, I left, you know, get, you know, with my prescription turning in, I left feeling so much better. And she said this to me, I, she came and she leaned over as though she was going to hug me over the counter. And she said, I asked God today to give me an appointment with someone. And she said, you were my appointment and you helped. Nice. And I wow. It was nothing. But then again, it was. Right. Absolutely. And just one of those small things that turned into something that was a big heartfelt moment. So. Yeah amazing and those those opportunities are there everywhere for people aren't they yeah I, th I think i think they are when i um when i go into the grocery store and you know i i don't know about your grocery store but they've cut back employees and they're trying to force everyone to go through those you know you check yourself out and yeah let's right. not make sure you don't have people getting paid or just ugh. but i've i've tried to make it a point to notice the name badges of the people who are there. And if I have, I say, um, you know, let's pretend it says David. I say, oh, David, thank you very much. I really appreciate the fact that you're here. You have a great day. And I walk out and they're like, somebody noticed me? Like, oh. <laughs> and so I, it's um, in a world where so much feels like it is out of our control, I think to find where where are my places of control? And what just for me personally, I, I'm, 
I'm really working on this notion of kindness. Wow, absolutely. Now, kindness is definitely one emotion that that you instill in people. Um, I've looked a lot at your uh, speaking engagements, your bios, and your videos here. And so you also, <laughs> my mother call you. <laughs> and now you also like to add a bit of humor into things. Uh, so how are some ways people can laugh about their burnout instead of crying over it? Oh, that's another great question. Um, I think, and this is, again, this is, a, it's, it's a learning thing is to look for the funny. There's so much around us, David. If you look at it, you just, you have to laugh. I mean, or or you'll cry. So the other day I was at a stoplight and next to me came this truck and it said terminal freighting. I had to laugh because all of a sudden I thought, freighting, terminal. I didn't know it was dangerous to your health. Now, (laughs) that's silly, but it made, it, it made me laugh. Right. Uh, Yeah. So I, I think that we look for ways in which just and laughter doesn't mean ha 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 you know and roll on the floor and stuff sometimes it's just you know kind of a a a tiny you know a tiny chuckle um when i cared for my mom who about the last six years of her life all manner of things wrong um, including you know dementia and uh one minute she's dying, one minute she's not. One minute she's dying, one minute she's not. So we're like up and down and up. So I would call her Yo-Yo Ma. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it made me laugh. Yes. It, it, made, it took a serious situation. And I said, how's Yo-Yo Ma today? You know, and it just, it, it shifted this heavy burden. And she would smile. I don't know whether she got it. <laughs> but it's, it, it is, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, and dementia, Alzheimer's, it's such a serious condition. And lots of people, when they hear this, they're like, well, how, how can you laugh at it? And I'm like, if you're in these situations, you need laughter or you're going to be crying all the time. It's, and you know, uh, it's so like my grandmother, she, she passed away from Alzheimer's. And uh, I remember as a little child, we, we took the dog in one time this small little black dog uh, with us into the nursing home to, to visit her. And uh, there was this back in those days, big kind of garbage can smoke ashtray. And uh, she starts petting the ashtray. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, grandma, that's, that's not the dog. <laughs> and in her confusion, then she starts petting me. <laughs> and we just erupted. Like it, it was just one of those silly moments that come out of the chaos of of this horrible yeah. disorder but uh we, we we had to find the the things that yeah in these situations that that brought out other emotions other than just being sad yeah. the entire time um you know what you did in that instance david is so i want to acknowledge you for that is and for so many of us are dealing with um in either immediate family or friends or whatever who are experiencing this whole cognitive impairment, which is hideous. You know, we march right. for breast cancer cure, but we really don't march enough for Alzheimer's. And it will impact every single one of us. Every single Absolutely. one of us. Absolutely. It does. But what you and... did is you accepted your grandma where she was. 
Right. And you laughed Absolutely. when she petted the ashtray. You laughed when she petted your head. You go, oh, Grandma, that felt really good. Thank you. You know, I'm going to wag my tail just because you're doing this. You know, kind of, <laughs> and I think to to live wherever they are, don't say that's wrong. That's not right. You can't do that. Uh, mother would say things like, well, where's my cart? I need my cart. I, you know, I've got to go. I've got to go feed Nana. Her mom, we called Nana. I said, oh, mom, you are so kind. You know, my car broke down and you let me use yours. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, would you like uh, coffee or tea? And you you live where they are and then you move on. And it's fine. Quick shift. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, can you do this with your significant other too, your husband or wife? <laughs> He's got all of his faculties right now, but you know, this is, we've been married 43 years, uh, second marriage for both of us. And we laugh all the time. Right. We just laugh all the time. We give each other silly names. We are constantly, this isn't, we are constantly saying thank you and please. Thank you, Bill, for doing this. Would you please do this? Um, and we, when we got married May 18th, 1980, which was literally the day that Mount St. Helens erupted. Oh, wow. You're not That's responsible. the explosion. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to know, every 18th of every month, for 43 years, we have celebrated our month orary. Wow. And when you talk about, you know, burnout and it's to find something that you can celebrate. Um, you know, initially it was, you know, go to dinner or have a nice bottle of wine or something like that. Now, as we've gotten older, it's um, number one, who can remember first that it's the 18th of the month? <laughs> and jump on them and say, nan, 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 happy anniversary. Um, but I think finding something that you can celebrate on a regular basis is really another resiliency skill. Absolutely amazing. Wow. Now, I remember you saying the quote, though, here from your husband, and this is kind of the playfulness between the two of you, I imagine, is that your husband sometimes tells you to go read your own books. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> That's true. And I get, and it's like I told you, I, I write for myself, and he'll say, Eileen, go read your book. Go, oh, oh yeah, I just, I did that. It's kind of like catching me saying I have to versus I choose to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we give each other names. We, uh, uh, and if anybody heard it, they'd think we were terrible. You know, you say, hey, little booger. <laughs> Ooh, that's terrible. No, it, I laugh. And uh, he's, my, he's my dump cake. Have you ever had a dump cake? A dump oh, cake what's a dump cake? Dump everything in a pan and you bake uh, it. Yeah. And it's, it's really quite tasty. So um, anyone would think we were being not nice, but we, it makes us laugh. But you're right. He does right. say, read your own book. <laughs> and by the way, I got to acknowledge you, David, and all of your listeners who are out there. Thank you for doing some research before we talked. I can't tell you how many interviews I give and they know nothing about me, have spent no time looking at my website or what. So thank you for your due diligence. It says that you um, honor your listeners. Well, one quote after another quote just came and it, it was absolutely brilliant. I, 
as I said, my motivation behind doing the podcast has always been to have amazing conversations with amazing people. And this is just, once again, clinching that, that goal. And uh, <laughs> just to kind of rewind, though, um, that, that speech you're giving in front of a, an entire audience there, and you got them laughing when, like, hysterically um, when, you, when you did go, yeah, my husband tells me to read my own books. And then you segued into a very important topic, and that was basically that none of us are perfect and that we're all kind of struggling with these things. But I think that quote kind of sums it up too. And that situation is that a lot of us are really good at giving advice. Um, but what are the keys for following your own advice then? <laughs> oh, you're so tricky there, David. Um, <laughs> well, I think it is you have an accountability partner. Ah, and okay. Bill is my accountability partner. When he says, Eileen, you don't have to, you're choosing to. He, he he does do that. Um, and following my own advice, actually, when I journal, um, I write things that I did well. And I also write things I did not do well. What are my lessons? You know, the older I get, the more I know I don't know. Right. So... Um, to be accountable is to say, what is it I, what is it I learned today? You know, that I, that I need to know. Um, and I'm goodness knows I'm always learning. <laughs> well, that is such an important thing though, because you say with resiliency, it's not about just making it through that tough situation. Um, it's about growing through it. So, uh, Obviously, putting down these lessons and everything during these situations uh, has helped you out. Uh, what are a few other techniques people can use then to uh, grow through it versus just trying to bounce back or make it through? Um, okay. So first off, I'm going to push back on you. We're not going to bounce back. We're going to grow through. We got to exactly. change our language. So we're not going back. No back. There's no such thing as going back. I, I think one of the techniques is to really say, what did I do that was right? And there are some things that are, are right in it. You know, I didn't get it perfect. Um, you know, biblically saying God created the world and said, it's good. Did not say it's perfect. Said it's good. It's good. Um, and in the, uh, in the Jewish tradition, Tikkun uh, Olam, yeah, I hope I'm saying it correctly, which basically is our responsibility that the world has got these little open places that need to be healed. Uh, right. So what is it that I, you know, what is it that I can do to heal those uh, in, in small ways, in small ways? I'm, you know, I'm not going to get a Nobel. You know, I wish just, I wish all my books sold millions of copies and they don't. Um, but who, if it helps one person, that, that feeds, that feeds my heart. Um, but I, when you said, when you're going through this, I think it's first, what I do physical. So that's my body, my physical surroundings, emotional, who feeds my heart. Who is it that when I am with them, I just feel better. And by the way, them could be four legged. Right. It really could. Uh, that's, if there is a, if there is one positive, uh, actually, I think there's a number of what we've learned from COVID, but when I would go on my run. 
every dog leash is at least six feet long. So I got to meet more dogs and pet <laughs> more dogs. I don't have a dog. I like dogs. Um, and then I'd ask the person who's six feet away, what's your name? So I made friends with four-legged and two-legged that David, I never would have done. I never would have done that. Except now we were in this this constrained environment. So so who feeds your heart? Who feeds your heart? Um, so that's so I've got my physical, my emotional, my mental. What do I learn? What is it that I learned today? Um, material. That's another part. You know, what is it? We can freak out about, oh my God, oh my God, I'm not, I have no money. I'm going to be a bag lady, all this other stuff. Um, I read a wonderful book and it's been around for a while, but I think it's brilliant called The Soul of Money. Okay. I lived and what she basically says is we have bought into a myth that says there's never enough and mm. more is well and I realize when I start to freak out you know about income or where's the book you know what there will always be enough there will be enough so and then the last one is spiritual and that is taking that time out to connect with the world that is greater than you are whatever however you define that to be Right. Whatever that's like, organized religion or not. For my husband, it's slinging a backpack and going in the high Sierras. But it is taking time to realize that we are part of a larger world. Um, so I hope that answers your question. It perfectly does. Absolutely. Now, to protect this, though. You have to set up a lot of boundaries. <laughs> uh, how do you set boundaries then to, to protect this, uh, yeah. this amazing world that, that you want to create for yourself? Yeah, yeah. Boundary setting, I think, is, um, I call it developing horse sense. Horse sense is the ability to say, nay, <laughs> or <woo. laughs> um, And I think, particularly for burnout, we... And women do this more so than men, I think. We're like those little bobbleheads. Go, yes, 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 yes. Very and much we, so sometimes, yes. Yeah. We, we learn to say no. Or if not, not no, not now. And that's depending on our history, how we were raised. For some of us, that's really hard to do. But boundary setting is important. To develop and maintain my own energy. So if I have a difficult person in my life, of which there have been quite a number, I don't ignore them, but I limit my time with them. Wow. Because they're energy drainers. So how does your husband help support you in setting up boundaries then? Um, well, if I we go back to that description of the bobblehead. Really mad, really mad. He is, number one, he is my biggest supporter. Right. Um, but um, he takes up, talk about boundaries. He takes over a lot of the the housekeeping that traditionally falls to the wife. He does the wash. You know, he he does the, the yard outside. I do the planting, but he does the wash. And he cooks dinner. Now, that sounds crazy, but by creating, it allows me to create a boundary. I don't have to go do the wash because he's doing it. I don't have to worry about dinner because he's doing it. So he actually helps me create some boundaries so I can finish 
what is the work I need to do here at my desk or the phone call, the interview with you. Um, so he's, he's really, he's really good about that. Then he will also make an observation that, um, I think you need to go to bed now. It's time. Okay. You're right. I don't think you should eat that piece of bacon. Oh, you're right. I'm going to eat it anyway. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's bacon. <laughs> <laughs> we had that for breakfast, my avocado toast and the bacon. Oh, yeah. delicious. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Now you just keep giving and giving and, uh, there's a couple causes that you're passionate about. Uh, save, save the children and United World College Costa Rica. Yeah, Tell us a little more about me. these. Let me do that. Save the Children. First off, is is an incredible organization. It's been around for decades, um, and I have both had save the, a child that I have helped fund. It can be in the United. Can be I can choose. I can say I want it in the Southern United States. Um, and so they, they do amazing work. And what they do is they work on the community in which the child lives. United World College is, it's over 50 years old. It is an, um, it's an educational philosophy that was founded by um, a World War II general, NATO general, and a Scottish uh, educator. And the whole notion is, what can we do so we never have a World War III? And the concept is, could we get young people um, in what you and I in the States would say junior, senior, high school level, to live in community for the last two years and so that they learn from each other. So actually to create on a campus a global community. So United World College Costa Rica, uh, there are 18 campuses right now around the world. We have one in the United States um, outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, I'm involved in UWC Costa Rica because my sister is chair of the board for that. Uh, they do incredible work. And when these students come from all over the world and they have to be accepted, in many cases, it's always fundraising because it's very expensive to have someone live on campus for two years. I mean, they right. go home over the summer. But... There, the philosophy of all of that is how do we learn from each other? What is our social responsibility? What is our environmental responsibility? And when these students graduate, they graduate with um, an international baccalaureate degree, which I don't know about you, but when I got out of high school, it was the high school degree. It right. is not as difficult as an IB, an international baccalaureate. And many of them then go on to a, a four-year university. Um, and in often cases, there's amazing people who help fund that, or they go back to their respective countries determined to make some kind of a difference. And so Susan has said, I've never worked so hard for no money in my life. Right. All of this is volunteer. When she goes to Costa Rica in May, it's all on her time. And she said, but these students, these faculty, these incredible staff, give me hope and i think it's in you know it's in how do we create hope merchants um i can't change the world but could i in fact influence some 200 students in their relationships with each other 
Wow. Absolutely. That is an amazing, amazing cause. And what you're doing with your speaking and with your writing really touches a lot of people and gives them hope as well. So how do they find out more about yourself, uh, your books, such as Burnout to Breakthrough? And how do they find you? Thank you for asking that. First off, I'm assuming you got my name up here. I think I see it. If they can spell my name, they can find me. To my knowledge, I am the only Eileen Mactar left on the planet. Once my grandmother died, <laughs> I don't know that there's another Eileen with the Irish spelling, Mactar. So you can Google me. You can go to my website, www.eileenmactar.com or theresiliencygroup.com. They'll take it to both the same place. You can find my books on Amazon. You can find them on my website. They're pretty much all over the place. And feel free to email me, Eileen at EileenMacDar.com. Say, you know, I listen, I listen to Dr. David and whatever. You know, I do, I respond, I respond. Nice. You can sign up for my e-sign. I do, a, we're, we're limiting it now because it's just too difficult to keep up. Again, boundary setting. I do two blogs a month and a monthly e-sign. So wow. many ways you can find me. Absolutely. And you just keep giving. It's absolutely amazing. And the work you're doing and the people that you're reaching and helping. Uh, so definitely reach out to Eileen McDar, Irish spelling, <laughs> and find out more. And for everybody, stay tuned to the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care.